everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor here with you as always with my fellow dear friend, Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's it going? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Excellent. I love this week's topic because kind of where it all starts. Well, yeah, and we have actually been on the Facebook page and there have been um, a lot of questions that seem to come up on I'm really not sure where to start or I'm brand new to the industry and I have to, you know, do an interview with, you know, someone that I'm trying to get a job, you know, they're asking me to do, they're in a job interview and they're asking me to like to come in and do something with them. Where do I start? Or, you know, I have this client and they've got this issue and it always comes back to, well, what was the assessment like? What assessments did you choose to do? What assessments are you thinking would be most appropriate and why? And then what did those results show you? Because truly, as we're going to talk about, if you have the results um, to the assessments that are appropriate for that client, it made sense of why you had them do those particular assessments, then you really do have the answers right there in front of you. And we're just going to cover ones that, that we use and that are available to you. And then we'll show you kind of where to go with that information. Yeah. And when you, as you know, uh, one of my, well, one of my three boys, my twins, and maybe my second one twin, Tyler may jump in here. Ryan's going through the NASM CPT course and he'll go to the gym and he'll be like, I was going to do this or I was going to do that. What do you think? And like, I think he's finally to the point where he knows what my answer is going to be. What does the assessment show? Like he, you know, he's asked me about 10 different times without thinking. And the answer is always the same. So I'm consistent, if anything, but he understands now, like, oh, wait a minute. I can't just get caught up that somebody asked me to give him an exercise or somebody asked me to do this, which is very, very easy just to what's the best exercise. What's the, let's go back to the basics. What does the assessment show me? What assessments am I using? Then from there, we've got our roadmap. Yeah. And if we look at what we're going to talk about, I mean, this is basically what we're talking about, that the assessments are the blueprint. So um, if we go to the next slide here, we're going to talk about the purpose of the assessments. We're going to talk about the appropriate assessments for like desired goals. And then we're going to just quickly review, you know, how, how do you do these assessments? How do you set them up correctly? How do you perform them? And then, of course, after that, we'll talk about the results because you can gather all the information. But if you don't know what to do with it, it's kind of useless. So we want to make sure you guys feel good with that. Yeah. And going back to, I'll, I'll date myself when, you know, I have that big birthday this month, but we used to do, everyone used to do one rep chest press and leg press. And back then I was like, why am I doing this? Like this person's 75 years old and they want to like be able to get down on the floor and play with their grandchild. Like it never made sense. Right. So like, why am I assessing if it's not something that is safe and I could use to get an answer that's going to help design programs. So, yeah, I think we've come a long way. Yeah, we've definitely come a long way because, again, it really was about, you know, what's your one rep max or how much can you bench? And and in and, and all reality, I'm like, hey, can you go and play with your grandkids and then wake up the next morning and get out of bed without feeling like everything in your body hurts? Because to me, that's way more important than how much can I bench? Because at the end of the day, I don't know, Wendy, that's kind of that's hurt. No, I'm just joking. You don't want to know my numbers, Marty. You know, I don't want to cheat you this why. early in the podcast. Exactly. Trust me. <laughs> I'm out. I don't, I don't want to know. I know. Right. Well, let's dive on in. So clearly, you know, for all of our NESM friends here, we know that there's a lot of assessments. We are going to talk about our performance assessments. We kind of just talked about a couple of them, but you got to move well, right? You have to move well first. 
that is the crucial part of what we do so well. We do so many things well, but with NASM, what we really brought to the industry when Wendy and I learned this, you know, eons ago is that it's all about movement quality. If you don't move well, you better be careful moving often. If you don't move well, right, you better be careful moving under load and moving explosively. So we really do need to look at the quality of that person's human movement system. And then from there, we can really target what the next steps are. Yeah. And I think it's also important to talk about when we get to the mobility assessments, you know, before we did what everybody else, you know, told us to do in order to really see range of motion and joints. Yeah. We looked at some people's movements, but then we also got the goniometer, which is that human protractor, and then try to figure all this out. And so one of the beauties of what NASM has done is they've, they've created movement assessments or mobility assessments that we are going to briefly cover too. That can now be found in our new corrective exercise specialist because I really believe that, you know, understanding, hey, if someone moves this way, but yet their their mobility is pretty good. It really does give you a better idea, even even diving deeper into a program on what to do with somebody that that has dysfunction. Right. And I think it's you know very important as you're newer to this information or newer to the industry to really study that anatomy understand how the body is supposed to work because when whether you're doing a formal assessment and i'm sure this was going to come up at some point every set every rep is an assessment right even if i'm doing the third set of a set of lunges if the knee starts to adduct and internally rotate it tells me something they're either getting fatigued the load is too much the range of motion is too much so it's really crucial to understand those movement patterns because that's telling you where they're either overactive and or underactive. So you can then either regress the exercise or make sure you put in the right strategy back into their program. Mm -hmm. Glad you agree. Well, if we um, look at, you know, muscle imbalance, I think it's important too. And if you haven't had the opportunity to ever take a class with any of our master instructors or, or really come in to dive deep into a muscle, you know, what, what we're really looking at here is when, when we're going through transitional movements, so the overhead squat, the single leg squat, you know, we'll talk about this in the next slide, but we'll, we're really focusing on putting in the five kinetic chain checkpoints. So we'll go over that next, but where do you deviate? And if I've set you up in a, in a perfect position and then I have you move, why, what, what's, what's the deal? Why does that happen? And it's mainly because you have particular muscles that go from one joint to another. And if it's not properly lined up and one side is overactive, it's going to pull you into a shorter position. And as you do that, and, and I always tell people to make a fist. And if you make a really hard fist, and your, your, um, your joints are lined up, that's going to be a pretty good fist. But if you go into wrist flexion and you try to make that same fist, it's actually not as strong. And if you go into the other direction and it's in a lengthened position, it's definitely weak. So if you have an overactive muscle, it's still weak. If you have a lengthened muscle, it's still weak. And so ideally, when we're thinking about neuromuscular efficiency, we're trying to get the right muscle to fire at the right time and the right plane of motion. And so ideally what we're going to see is if there is some dysfunction in movement, what is causing that dysfunction? And what usually causes those dysfunctions is the overactive side of that joint, that muscle that's in a shortened position. And what's allowing it is a weaker muscle that's really not firing like it's meant to. And so therefore it's allowing that compensation to happen. And so our end goal here and the whole reason for us to do these assessments is we're just going to mark what we see. And if there's something that we noticed, we've provided answers 
to help you know what muscles caused it and what muscles allowed it. Yeah, and for those of you just joining in right now, myself, Marty Miller, here with my co-host every week, Wendy Batts, on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about assessments, why we do them, how to you know evaluate the findings of them, and just the benefits of always, always thinking about that assessment process. So as we move forward here, we just talked about the shortened muscles, the lengthened muscles, and then Wendy's favorite term, the 5K, five kinetic chain checkpoints. This is where it all starts. So as the client even walks in, even maybe the day before, a couple of days before the, your formal session, when they walk up to you and even talk to you about booking an appointment, you could be taking note on their posture, right? Do they stand, you know, depending on how you're seeing them, is their head in a neutral position? Do they shift to one side? Is one shoulder elevated over the other? Or depending if you're seeing them from further away, when they walk towards you, when they stand, are their feet straight? Do the feet turn out? What's going on in their pelvis? So these are just things, even in a static posture that we want to look at. So you got the foot and ankle, the knee, the lumbopelvic hip complex. Then you got your thoracic spine, your shoulder, and your head and neck. Those are the key things that you're going to look at as baseline. And then from there, we're going to watch how they might deviate off of the normal posture as we either add movement. Sometimes they'll, they'll have movement dysfunction just in the static. Generally, will get worse as they start to move in the transitional. And then we have our dynamic. But everything's going to always be these five kinetic chain checkpoints, as well as this is what we're cueing and watching during any formal exercise. Mm-hmm. And this this picture, while, it, while it's informational, I mean, obviously, you can see what we're kind of looking at. It does show that these this individual has, I mean, I know it's just a cartoon individual, but the shoes are on. What I think is one of the main things that you want to do is have the client remove their shoes. And we can't emphasize that enough because often, you know, people are wearing shoes that have like arch support or maybe, you know, um, they're wearing shoes that are putting their foot in, in an ideal position. I want to see how do they move without that support. And it really does allow you to see someone's arches. You know, do they pronate? Meaning does does their feet flatten when they do that? Are they pronating and then their feet turning outward? Do their pinky toes rise? All that information is super important when you're doing some evaluations. And if the shoes are on, you're not really getting a good look at what's happening without support. And if someone comes to you and says, I have orthotics, Well, my end goal would be like, well, what can I do to help train your foot and your arch? Um, So therefore you don't need those orthotics. And, and it's kind of like a, wait, what, you know, Um, because people say that I have flat feet and unless you were really born with flat feet, which is a very small population, then it's because you have weak arches, your muscles in your feet are weak. And that's, what's flattening that arch out. And so we want to rebuild the saddle of the foot. So therefore everything is in better alignment. Yeah. That was me as, as a youngster, I was told I had flat feet. My arch was always there. I just pronated. So to the doctor, it looked like my art. No, it was just pronation. So all those years. I know, but you know, one thing too, is look at someone's foot when they don't have weight on it. Do they Mm -hmm. have an arch? Like, you know, you can really see even, you know, when, when you're looking at their foot and then when they apply pressure, do they flatten out too? So visually, when we're looking at a, a client, you can get a lot of information before movement begins. That's why these five kinetic chain checkpoints are so important. So we have our static, then we look at transitional. So people are going to move. So we have our overhead squat, 
we have a split dance and or single leg squat. And Wendy already talked about it not too long ago. NESM added some new material to the corrective exercise specialist. So if you had the corrective exercise specialist before and you were used to going to metric measurement, we understood that sometimes that's hard for people to read. Love it. Wendy and I both still use it. Great information. But now we added some additional in the split squat. So when you look at the transitional, now we're going to see what happens when they start to move. So overhead squat, you've got two legs, wider base of support. The split stance, you're starting to narrow the base of support, but you're still carrying your body weight on two legs. And then if the person can do it, you could go to the single leg squat. So now you have that bridge in between the overhead squat and the single leg squat. We start to add movement. And the one thing is if their posture is bad statically and or if they're wearing sneakers and they can't take them off and you see dysfunction, it's probably going to get worse with their shoes off or when you start to add movement. Yes. Even if it's small, you're going to note it. Very important. Agreed. When do you want to take this one here? Yeah. So when we're talking about the overhead squat assessment, you know, this is kind of NASM's most commonly talked about assessment because it's usually the one that most individuals can perform. And basically what we're trying to do here is we're looking and assessing dynamic posture, core stability, and neuromuscular control. And so this is appropriate for all fitness levels. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, youth. It doesn't matter if they're, uh, you know, someone that is, and, you know, a, a mom that's coming out of just, you know, having a baby. It doesn't matter if they're an active older adult. If you can safely do a squat, then this is going to be very appropriate for you. And so what we're doing, and, and when we're looking at this too, we're going to have someone get into the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And then from there, all they're going to do is raise their arms. And when you're setting someone up, we always talk about show, tell, do. You want to show someone what you're talking about. So I always say, okay, with your shoes off, you're going to stand just like this, about shoulder to hip width apart. You're going to draw in your belly button. I want you to keep your chin back, keep your shoulders back. And then I want you to raise your hands over your head and try not to bend your elbow. And that's all that I give them. I don't tell them anything else other than I'm going to have you go down just like this. I'm going to show them the depth of the squat. And we usually say about chair height. And then I'm going to tell them I'm going to take notes. And I usually walk around the individual. So I have them technically do a few squats. I'm looking from the front. I personally move and look at the lateral side and get a glance at the, the posterior mm -hmm. side. And then I come back to the anterior side again and do one final look. So instead of stopping the client after five reps, I am the one that are moving around because as they get tired, I can, I'm going to be able to see more. And so, and I'm not giving them time to reset every single time I'm changing the view again, all to your own. That's what I personally do. And I feel like I get really good data. Um, but this is the one that we talk about the most because it is the most appropriate for the majority of your clients to walk in the door. Yeah. I include this in every one of mine and do it the exact same way as yourself there, Wendy. Shocker. Single leg squat, if someone can do it, right? This is not required. You're hopefully going to be able to do an overhead squat with everybody. Feel free to put a chair underneath them if, you're, if you think that maybe, hey, they can do it, but maybe from a, a their own mental kind of safety standpoint, or sometimes if now that I have the split stance, I use that a lot, but you can also potentially hold on to something if you need to. But Wendy and I are pretty much sticklers. 
We want them to be able to do this with their hands on their hips. That's why we have the split stance uh, version of it now. But now we're going to take all of the weight and put it on one leg. So whatever we saw on two legs, generally now, because the weight is distributed between two legs, now they have to carry their body weight on a single leg. And this is important because when you look at activities of daily living and athletics, we don't hop around like a bunny. We're transitioning from one leg all the time to the other legs. This is why when you can do this, this is a very important uh, assessment. You're going to see the neuromuscular control of the one leg, their balance and ability to control their trunk and core all of a sudden. Appropriate for all levels, again, if it's deemed safe. And this is going to dive deeper into the overhead squat results. So you should use these results over the overhead squat for lower body if they differ. Because now we're really seeing what happens on one leg, and that's how we're going to be going through life. And one, one additional comment I wanted to add is, you know, when people are setting up for the single leg squat, it's very, very important that you, again, start in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, put your hands on your hips this time, so not overhead, keep them on the hips, because sometimes people will put their hands out in balance, but then also to the non-testing leg, so the floating leg, should literally be right beside the ankle. It shouldn't go out in front as someone goes down because I mean, I know for myself, Marty, and you know, I'm working on mobility in my ankle. If I have my leg out in front of me and try to do quote a pistol squat, then I'm going to posteriorly tuck or, you know, tilt. I'm going to end up rounding my shoulders because I'm trying to go as low as I can without falling over. So that's not giving me ideal results. Um, again, same thing. You don't want the, the foot to come too far back because then it's going to throw off the, the, the hips. Ideally, that should stay right beside the ankle. And it's also safe when we're talking about performing this safely. If someone starts to lose their balance, they can immediately tap down. And um, and it's just it's just the best way to gather the, the, the information correctly. So don't let them pistol squat. Don't let that leg fly back. Literally just have it hover right beside the testing leg. And that's going to help you get the best results. Yeah, great point. And if they squeeze their legs together, they're cheating. Yes. Brace. Don't let the floating leg touch the other leg either. It has to float. Right. It's the word float. Right. So those <laughs> of you just jumping in here right now today, myself, Marty Miller with Wendy Bats, we're going over assessments on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. Crucial. Got to do them. Got to know why you're doing them. So we went through overhead squat, went through single leg squat, and of course, we always started with our static posture. So moving on past our single leg squat assessment. So now we can look at loaded or dynamic. So this is basically like an exercise, right? They're optional, but you're probably going to do something like this anyways. So why do we do it? We've got, we want to see their movement under load, right? They might be able to move okay without a lot of uh, external weight, but what happens when they have to really start to move against resistance? So we've got our push assessment, a pull assessment. You could still do a squat assessment. You could do an overhead dumbbell press. So these are exercises, but they're still, as I talked about earlier, assessments. And then we have our dynamic. So the purpose is what happens when they start to transition at speed. So it could be gait. It could be a brisk walk. It could be a run for some people. We have our upper body Davies test, which is phenomenal. I do different versions of the test in a sense. Every time I do uh, my upper body work, I do some closed chain, right? So very similar to this. See what happens at the core, their head do the scapulas wing, and then you can get into things like depth jump, vertical jump, et cetera. So you can see that NSM has done a great job of keeping it from simple to complex with the assessments. And you will just plot these along wherever is appropriate, going back to what I said initially. If you don't know how to perform the test, you don't do it. You research it. And if you don't know what to do with the results, 
You don't just test for the sake of testing. Mm -hmm. And one thing too that I I really like when we do the overhead squat. It's not weighted. The shoes are off. We're going to be able to see a lot of information. And so if you notice that when the, when somebody is doing the overhead squat and their arms fall forward, when you're looking at them from the lateral view, meaning now you're going to start to see it, it's no longer in line with the torso. And, um, and so they come forward even a little bit. I know that if I'm going to sit to have my clients sit down and do an overhead press, that's probably going to lead to a low back arch because I know that they don't have the extensibility in my lat because we'll show you the solutions table that told me so. And I don't want to feed into compensations. And so, you know, again, if somebody can't do an overhead squat and let's say they're, you know, they're coming off of a knee surgery and they're not allowed to, to do anything lower body because they're doing physical therapy, but yet you're working on core and upper body, you can still do these types of assessments. Just be careful with what you're doing and why have a good why but you can still gather really good information as some, you know, as somebody's um, able to do this. Same thing with the push and the pull. Does their head fall forward? Does their shoulders round? You know, so as Marty said, every movement is an assessment. So always pay attention. But if there is one slight compensation, you need to regress that exercise, lower the weight, or make sure they have ideal posture while they're moving at slower tempos. So therefore they're going to get the best, um, you're, you're retraining the brain for the quality of movement, not really what the quantity or the amount of load that they're lifting. Well, yeah, thanks, man. So when we look at the mobility assessments, and as I talked about earlier, if you've been a CES for a while, it, I highly recommend at least maybe getting the new textbook, signing up for the newer edition of the course, because we always listen to uh, our NASM family and you know, people were like, well, I don't really, I'm not going to use a goni metric measurement. So we added in different mobility assessments. So mobility assessment helps to answer the following questions. Do overactive and shortened muscles, you know, what's going on with that? You know, do we, they contribute more to the observed movement impairment among the overactive and shortened muscles listed? Are there specific ones that play a more prominent role? Like, is there a primary reason we see this? And is the corrective exercise program I created improving the mobility of my client or athlete over time? This is always important. You should see an improvement as you implement your corrective exercise strategy. Yeah. And, and the mobility assessments really, like we said, it, you're diving deeper. So if I notice that someone's feet were turning out in the overhead squat, so they have bilateral, which means both external rotation means they're turned out when they're doing their overhead squat. And then I have them do these mobility assessments for let's say the foot and ankle, there's something that I can literally move their foot back against a wall that's two inches. And then I say, okay, lunge forward. And does their knee touch the wall? Yes or no. And, and when I say yes or no, meaning without compensation on the back leg or their torso or something in order to make that movement happen. And then if they can, and Marty, this is the beautiful thing about the mobility assessments. I noticed that when it was weighted, their feet went out. However, when I had them do a mobility assessment, it shows that there's mo like they can move their ankle. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, it does. It shows you that it's not the overactive muscle. It's the underactive muscle that allowed. So remember when we talked about the muscle imbalances, the overactive caused it. The underactive allowed it to happen. So therefore, instead of really spending a lot of time on the overactive muscle, I'm actually spending a little more time activating the underactive muscle that was really the primary cause of that particular dysfunction. And I found out like that, they take two seconds to do. It's amazing, but it really does dive deeper and helps me in my programming. So they 
therefore they move better faster. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. Just give you the answers you need right away. Excellent. So when do you want to, this is kind of what we talked about here in the new CES. There's different mobility assessments for the foot and ankle, for the knee, for the lumbopelvic hip complex, for the head and thoracic spine. I'm, I'm sorry, for the shoulders and thoracic spine and the head and neck. So we're not going to go through each one in the same depth, but the CES did break down different mobility assessments to do exactly what Wendy just said. Do I need to look at the lengthening side of things with the inhibit first, or do I need to look at the activation, the overactive versus the underactive? And that's the beauty of it. You have different mobility assessments for all five key kinetic chain checkpoints. Yeah. So it's just basically a guide. So when we say we're giving you the answers, if you saw this in your transitional movements, then look at this mobility guide and say, oh, maybe I should do these two things, you know, and it's going to give you a lot of information. No doubt. So, so here again, go ahead, Wendy. Go, oh, no, I was go. just going to say well, here, you know, basically this is what we kind of all talked about. Um, you know, when we're, we were doing the setup for the overhead and the single leg squat, you know, this is just kind of a kind of a summary of what we've already talked about. Set everybody up in the five kinetic check chamber, five kinetic chain checkpoints. Hence why I always say the five K's guys say that over and over again. You're going to notice the five K's sounds so much easier. But when we're talking about it, always five kinetic chain checkpoints, remove their shoes, do the, you know, five squats from each position, unless they're an athlete, you may have them do more or do as Marty and I usually do set them up in that position. And then you walk around to gather the information that you need. So they're not squatting forever. If you're brand new to this practice on your family and your friends. So therefore, if you're having them do a ton of squats, you can ask for forgiveness. So therefore, when you're actually working with clients, you feel very confident in what you're looking for quickly. And then the same thing when the, the single leg squat, just again, always set them up in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, keep the hands on the hips, have them perform five squats and then gather the information. And usually I just really look more on the anterior side for the single leg squat, but you definitely can look from the lateral view as well. But if you notice that they are having a really hard time doing the overhead squat, so if their feet are turning out and the knees are caving in, and you notice that that knee um, valgus is pretty extensive, meaning it's like, it's a lot. I would never go into a single leg squat because again, I'm setting them up in a very unsafe environment. So I could either perform this, this split squat or I really, I gathered the information I early, I really needed in the overhead squat. Cause I'm pretty sure when I take the base of support away, it's going to get worse. Well said as always. So again, here, the transitional assessment, Wendy already covered this. We're not going to overcoach it. We're not going to tell them what we're looking for. We're just going to kind of say, we're going to watch your movement quality. I need to see where, how well you move so I can design the best program for you. Only thing I do is sometimes people start with their feet turned out. I'll give them one chance. Say, hey, can you stand with your feet straight for me? And I'll just show them like this. If they automatically start to turn them back out, I don't overcorrect it. It's a, it's a compensation. That one you tend to see a lot. The other one is sometimes they don't put their arms fully above their head because if my arms are three quarters, technically my arms are above my head. So those are the only two things that I set. And then from there, Wendy talked about how she walks around and what we look for from the anterior lateral posterior view. Only caveat, if you're going with the posterior view, don't hover there, especially if you don't have rapport with the person, kind of do your walk around. That could be a little awkward for somebody the first time they come into a gym. Nice to done. 
Same thing with the single leg squat. We already kind of talked about this. Again, you can look from the anterior view. That's when you're trying to see, does their body or their torso move inward? Does their knee cave in? You know, sometimes people want to go in the lateral view just to confirm an excessive forward lean or something like that. You may not see the low back arch and people are like, but I don't understand. Well, if it was coming from the lats and the hands are on the hips, you're not going to notice that as much. But, you know, you're, you're just gathering some information. I don't usually do the posterior view personally on the single leg squat. I usually just do anterior, maybe look really quick on the lateral side. Um, five squats is a lot for somebody that hasn't practiced balance. So just be cognitive of what your client, um, you know, whether you feel comfortable and what, what you think that, that they can do. Yeah, no, I agree with you the same way. Now, these are interesting. I like these. As I said, I do a similar thing with the Davies every time I'm doing upper body. I want my hands on the ground doing that closed chain. So Davies is going to test your upper body stability, depending on the person's strength and or stamina. You've got th basically the rule is 36 inches apart. However, if somebody is smaller with their shoulder girth, could you put the tape uh, closer together? Yeah, just be consistent, right, when you do your retest. And all you're going to do is you're going to measure it and they're going to do the kind of the hand touch. You're going to time it and see how many times they can go from one hand transitioning to the line to the other. You're going to score that. You're going to look for common uh, compensations like their head, their core. You're going to do that for 15 seconds, give them two trials and take their best score. And then the less tests for a lower air, uh, landing error scoring system. So the depth jump assessment up to two jumps per view, real-time test, up to three jumps total if taking a video. You're going to look for a compensation and give a point value. Points determine relative their injury risk status. And the higher points, the greater risk of injury. And all of this is in our courses that you take with NESM. We're just kind of giving you the ones that we tend to use a lot. Yes. And if, if you did notice, again, that someone's knees were caving in or their feet were turned out in the overhead squat then doing the less test would not probably be appropriate because you're having them actually do more of a death jump. So when we say you want to think about, you know, what's in the best interest of the client, you have to think about safety first. And, you know, as we see more and more ACL injuries, especially in our youth, we want to just be very, very careful that, you know, when we're doing assessments, if we notice that that compensation is already there, we just want to be smart um, in, in making sure that the, the tests fit the clients. And this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable with myself, Wendy Batts and Marty Miller, we're talking about the importance of assessments. So we talked about the different types of assessments that you can do, um, always starting in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, really thinking about starting with the overhead squat, as long as it seems safe, maybe getting a little more information, utilizing the split squat or the single leg squat. We talked about how cool the mobility assessments can be, but then now we're talking too, you've got loaded assessments that you can do, we're talking about some of the dynamic assessments that you can do. So your choices are really unlimited. It's based on what do you need to know to gather the best information for your client. Excellent. So what do we do with all this? Well, we're going to go right back to our solutions table. This is going to provide you that step-by-step -step process on what to lengthen, what to strengthen, how to correct those imbalances. So we're always going to go back to that. Eventually, you'll memorize when I see this, I do this, this, and this, but refer back to the solution statement until you feel very comfortable. So as a recap, anything that's overactive, you're going to do your self-myofascial techniques, and then you're going to use static stretching to lengthen them. And then as you progress through, you're going to active and then 
dynamic for your performance side of things. But under active, you're going to strengthen those. You're going to use those activation techniques to make sure that you hit both sides going back to that image that Wendy talked about with the imbalances. You want to inhibit and lengthen one side and activate the other, possibly going to integration so that both sides now, the functional, uh, you know, your agonists and antagonists are both doing what they should do to get your joints in a better position. Yeah. And this is part of your, your warm up. I mean, this is not the workout unless you're doing a corrective exercise day and, you know, the corrective exercise days are great, but you know, in all reality, if you have a whole bunch of compensations that you noted and people are like, well, their feet turned out, their knees caved in, their anterior pelvic tilt, their arms fell forward, their head was forward. They had rounded shoulders. Well, okay. Unfortunately, that's going to be a majority of your population, especially today because of the pandemic, people were sitting more and on the computer more and doing more things with electronics. Those are common compensations that you see. However, when you look at this solutions table, you're going to notice there's a lot of similarities. Like the, if the feet are turning out and the knees cave in, well, there's going to be some common muscles that would cause both of those. Remember, the knee is pretty much dictated of what the ankles and the hips are telling it to do. So you're going to like kind of look at it as a whole, write everything out, and then kind of circle the main ones that could hit certain things. For example, if the arms fell forward and they had an anterior tilt, then you would probably choose the lap because it could cause both of those. So you're kind of just taking it little by little. Maybe that's when you assign homework for your client to say, this is what I want you to foam roll and stretch at home. And then we're going to work on these techniques when you're in the gym. I mean, you have a lot of different things, but don't feel like you have to do it all at one session. And that's the big thing. Choose the biggest wins you know, or the, you know, like maybe three or four muscles to roll, you know, two, you know, two to three stretches, or maybe the same um, muscles that you rolled, you stretch, then choose some strengthening exercises that are going to activate that to help realign that joint. And the solutions table is your guide. So just take it step by step. Don't get overwhelmed, Marty. It's easy for me. Yeah. So of course, use the OPT met model. Why does it work? Well, it's an evidence-based approach and it's going to flow right through correcting movement, then loading movement for muscular endurance. Then you're going to load movement under a heavier load, the strength, and then you're going to allow someone to load at higher speeds. So it's perfect. It is the best solution out there. It's a step-by-step -step process on how to design programs based off that assessment. It works. Research shows us that. And the key takeaways, think about this, your assessments are your blueprint. It really will guide you. And if you are brand new to NASM, that CPT book really does walk you through. When we talk about the acute variables, that just means what reps do you do? What sets do you do? You know, how fast did you move? And therefore, if you actually follow that, that template and you really notice that there was some sort of dysfunction, the solutions table will tell you what to roll, what to stretch, what to activate, and then you can actually just build your resistance part utilizing the sets, the reps, the tempo, and trying to make it unstable, but something that they can control. So again, it's, it's really thinking about what are the client's goals, which everyone should be to move better, feel better, but they're going to give you some other goal. Um, so you want to have those internally to help them, but always make sure that you're setting them up in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, whether you're doing the assessments or you're doing any, any type of, um, exercise. And then when you're doing the assessments itself, even if it's minimal, you're always going to mark it because as they get tired, it's going to become more apparent and that assessment or those compensations will become worse. 
So even if it's starting to happen or you're not really sure, it's okay to mark it down and then maybe do another ex or another assessment to say, you know what, it's definitely a compensation. So that's why it's really good to have other assessments to, to gather or other assessments to do to gather more information and then gather it all like, and then look at it. So then just evaluate, what are you seeing? It's like a big puzzle. And that's why I love NASM. I love the body because every body is different. Um, but then you can utilize the OPT model. If there's dysfunction, start them in phase one. It's going to be challenging. It's not easy because again, if there's dysfunction, they would move perfectly and they would be in the strength phases. Obviously there's not, we're going to work on muscles that aren't firing correctly. So it's not going to be easy. And then the big key too, and one of the things that we want to emphasize over and over is reassess your client every four to six weeks. Because if you're not reassessing, there's no indication that your programming is truly working. You want to reassess, you want to see that they're getting better in their quality of movement. And then at that point, you can either move them up in a phase because it takes the body about four to six weeks to actually start to make changes that you're noticeably going to see. And then you're going to be able to, once again, use the model appropriately. However, if you don't see any, any um, like their movement still is terrible, then at that point, then what you're going to do is you're going to have to relook at your programming or have a heart to heart with your client to see what are they doing and not telling you. Yeah. I mean, this is Wendy, what you and I've been doing for 17 years or more with the model. It always comes back to the assessments for sure. So Great information as always, Wendy. Why don't you tell these amazing people how to get a hold of you if they have any follow-up questions? Yeah, if you have any questions, always feel free. You can email me at wendy.bat to nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information, there it is. My Instagram is dr.martymiller72 and then my email is marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, as always, I think hopefully we answered some questions, gave a, a great topic. And for all of you that joined us today, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.